Good morning. And uh, we are in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 9 again in just a moment. We read them last week, but we didn't get finished with them, so we'll, we'll read them again. And I am glad to see you. Let's bow uh, for prayer. Father, thank you for the beauty of this day. Uh, thank you for the good food. Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. Thank you for sweet fellowship. I pray now that you will instruct us from your word. Uh, Speak to our hearts and uh, bless each one here and their families. May this be a good, good Wednesday for each of us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Okay, uh, let me read verses 6 through 9 of chapter 1. You should have outlines on the table if you want them, Uh, pens if you need one, and hopefully you brought your own copy of the Scripture. We don't usually furnish those, but um, let's read verses 6 through 9 of James uh, chapter, I mean, First Peter. Well, I'm getting, <laughs> Sunday morning is getting mixed up with um, Wednesday. And the two books are next to each other, so I guess that's understandable. Okay, verse 6. In all this, his talk about salvation in the previous verses. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though... Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So now we get that introduction to suffering. And notice the careful choice of words on Peter's part, led by the Spirit. You greatly rejoice in your salvation, even though now, for a little while, Most of the time, suffering doesn't seem a little while, does it? Um, Maybe it is, but when you're in the middle of it, it never really seems to be for a little while. It seems as if it's going to last forever. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, various variegated would you would say variegated kind of trials, various. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold. So the reason for the trials is to prove the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. So your faith is worth more than anything in the world may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him physically with your eyes, though you have not seen him, you love him. That's true, isn't it? And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. John 10.10, remember what it says? I am come that you might have life, that you might have it to the full or more abundantly. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. Uh, Can't go back and cover everything that we did last week. We never get anywhere. But Peter raises four issues in the text that begins with verse 3 and ends with verse 9. First of all, he raises the issue of praise and worship of God. In verse 3, he introduces that, uh, he introduces a prayer that would be 
you would expect a Jewish person to pray because many Jewish prayers begin with praise be to the God and Father. Oh, they wouldn't include the Lord Jesus Christ, but Peter does. Okay, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He introduces the thought of prayer, praise and worship to us. Then he introduces this issue of Christian hope. In his great mercy, verse 3, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just reading that gets your heart pumping. Get you excited to think about it. So, in these crucial verses, he introduces praise and worship of God. He introduces Christian hope. Then he introduces suffering. We read that a moment ago. He introduces the subject of suffering. More on that in a minute. And then he introduces the subject of salvation. Verses 8 and 9. So, four pretty heavy-duty subjects in just verses 3 through 9. Now, let's zero in on suffering for a moment because that is part of the reason Peter wrote. He wrote to a people who are suffering, exiles, scattered because of persecution. Suffering flows from their salvation. Suffering flows from our salvation. It is a result of, suffering is a result of Our salvation, their salvation. Salvation, and it happens in this way, salvation grates on the world and the world then unleashes its fury. Uh, If this were a chalkboard instead of a whiteboard, I could could demonstrate that, couldn't I? You wouldn't want me to. I'd get the microphone up real close and then I would, you know, ooh, I hadn't heard that in a long time, and it still gives me the shivers to think, to think about somebody's fingers on a chalkboard. But that's the picture Peter's giving us. Our salvation is responsible for some of the suffering that believers experience. It flows from it. Because we're different, because we're distinctive, because... We don't look like everyone else and we stand upon the authority of Scripture, stand upon the authority of our, our beliefs, and it grates on the world and the reaction of the world is to unleash its fury upon believers. Now, in the USA context where you and I live, uh, it's been pretty easy, hasn't it? In regard to suffering that comes as a result of being a Christian. Now, it's not that we don't know about suffering, various kinds of suffering, illness and other things we experience. But the suffering that comes because we're Christians and our beliefs grate on others and so they unleash their fury on us, we don't really know as much about that yet as we probably will And I think you can, if you're even moderately observant, you probably see the signs of that in in our society today. Um, For for instance, 
what, what can I pick? Let's say um, most evangelical believers would be pro-life. I, I would I would like to say all evangelical believers are pro-life, but I do know a few who say they're evangelical believers and they're not pro-life. I don't quite know how that works, but nevertheless. So you, if you take a stand on that today, um, what what kind of reaction are you largely going to receive in our society? Adverse. That would be a very good way to put it. An adverse reaction. And it can become pretty intense in certain places at certain times. So uh, just just an example, just an example. You don't even have to take a stand on something like the subject of abortion, if you just let it be known that you're a Christ follower, that alone will be enough in many settings for for people to not like you and not want to be around you. Um, okay, you, you know, I don't, you know that. So our loving stance, and remember our stance needs to be firm always, but loving also. We're not out to win arguments. We're out to change hearts. So we're loving. Firm, yes, but loving. And our loving stance on issues that are dictated by Scripture will raise sparks. And it will get worse in the passing of time. Uh, take, for example, um, everybody familiar with the cake makers? <laughs> You read about the cake makers sued by the state. I think these guys came. There's one in Oregon, but the one that went all the way to the the Supreme Court, I believe, was in Colorado, was it not? Or do I have them reversed? One of those states went all the way to the Supreme Court. And then after the court ruled and sort of semi made it okay for the cake makers to to refuse to bake a cake for for a homosexual wedding, went back home and the state sued them all over again. Did you hear about that? Sued them all over again. To what end, I don't know. But the poor cake maker um, is having to go through that all over again. And and I, I don't think he's a billionaire. So I think it's really hurting him badly financially. Now, let's move out of our context to other countries we are aware, I hope, of the suffering that goes on in other places for Christians. It's, you know, the Christian community's almost disappeared from Iraq. It's almost, almost gone. Once a thriving Christian minority, almost gone. Very few left. And the ones that are left are in, are in danger. Uh, China is intensifying its persecution. Um, you know, we have people go, you know, we have people go in there. We have people go in there. And, and in, in just the last five years, that has radically changed. Very careful, very quiet. We've had at least two trips that have had to be canceled. We have some going again later this year. You've got to be really careful. doesn't mean you compromise. It just means you don't necessarily put it on radio that you're going you know, you keep it really 
under the radar screen. Uh, some of you in Randy Hughes' class, get him to tell you about it. Um, teaching at night in homes with, uh, what are those curtains called, blackout curtains, so that neighbors don't know that you're there teaching. Uh, people arrive, they don't drive up in a car, they arrive on foot and kind of just come in a little bit at a time so as not to, to attract attention. Um, in India, which is of, um, of great importance to us as a church, and you, you know why, a virulently anti-Christian prime minister, who, by the way, is up for re-election this year, and that is a critical election. If he wins again, it, it's not going to be well uh, for for believers. So I can't endorse a political candidate in my own country <laughs> publicly, but I can in India. So I hope he loses. <laughs> And um, if you have voting rights in India, vote against him, but I, I know you don't. So anyway, Sri Lanka, I'm, I'm going to guess, now you're a savvy, geographically savvy group, but 95% of Americans couldn't find Sri Lanka on a map if their life depended on it. You can, I know you can, but I, you know, but it's been in the news, Easter Sunday, <clears throat> Easter Sunday, remember? 321 dead in churches and, and hotels. Um, ISIS, I think, ended up claiming credit for that. April 29th didn't get quite as much attention. You know, the media has a way of when they're through with a story, they, they're through with it. Uh, April 29th, one week after Easter, uh, gunmen on motorbikes went into a church and killed six people. Uh, May 12th, gunman shot <clears throat> six in a church, then set the church on fire with the people still inside. So that's Sri Lanka. Um, suffering because of Christ. So some suffering comes because we are Christians. Some suffering comes because we're humans, not exempt from it. So... If you've had cancer, it's not, you didn't get cancer because you're a Christian. You got cancer because you're alive, you're part of the human race, and you got cancer. Heart attack, loss of a loved one, the agony of an accident. Those things happen not because you're a Christian, but you're alive, you're not exempt from that kind of suffering. So that's why Peter says trials of various kinds, they, they come in all shapes, and forms, don't they? Because you are a largely senior audience, um, George is an exception, but because you're a large, largely senior audience, I don't have to tell you about suffering. You know about it. You've experienced it firsthand in some shape, form, or fashion. I can't imagine anybody in here who has been exempt for the entirety of their lives. So Peter is addressing that issue of suffering in this epistle. In regard to suffering as a Christian, he he holds up for us our salvation in Christ, and, and we rejoice in that. 
and we marvel at what he says in these first nine verses, which, by the way, are verses three through nine have got to be in the uh, six, seven of the greatest verses ever written. Now, 46 years ago, and, and I picked that because that's when I went, God called me the ministry 46 years ago. Wow. <laughs> Maybe I should have said 26 years ago to see if I could get away with that. <laughs> but since I've been here for 30, I think you probably would have caught it. 46 years. Now, here's the change. 46 years ago, most people acknowledged sin and knew that they needed something. And and many knew they needed a Savior, whether they said yes to Jesus or not. You didn't really have to convince most people that they were sinners. You got that kind of memory 46 years ago? In 1973, well, well, my goodness, how things have changed. You can't just proclaim everyone's a sinner and expect everybody to believe that these days. Now, sure, most people are not going to say I'm perfect, but they don't really see their sin as that serious or that big a deal. And the need for a Savior is not inherently obvious to them. They just don't see it. And so that's one of the big differences in evangelism now as opposed to the past. Um, We haven't changed the message. We still preach sin. You need to be saved. But recognizing now that a large part of the audience is going... They don't buy it, they don't believe it, and they're not going to give you the time of day. So denial of a need for salvation is one of the things that we face today, particularly in our context, people thinking, I'm a, I'm a good person. What do you mean I need salvation? So our Choosing the right words for the Holy Spirit to use to speak to the hearts of people is, is a real challenge. Now, in Peter, in First Peter, um, he is dealing with the subject of salvation and dealing with the subject of suffering as a result of, of salvation. And as we read those words, we understand that there is, by and large in our society today, a view of God as a benevolent distant figure on the part of many people in our society. Uh, Everybody doesn't go to church on Sunday, have you noticed? At least in most neighborhoods. Listen to Isaiah. I think Isaiah was uh, speaking about our day when he wrote, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I I thought about that the other day when one of the presidential candidates, and aren't there about 2,400 of them, one of the presidential candidates said that those who were were anti-abortion are also anti-Christian. And I'm thinking, what would you say? 
But he didn't, he believed that, that you and I who take a stand for life are anti-Christian. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. So Isaiah spoke of our day a long time ago. We cannot forget the words of Jesus who said, you must be born again. Now, go back to verse 6. Various kinds of trials, all kinds of trials. Peter leaves it wide open on purpose. It can be fierce, head-on persecution that comes from living for Jesus It can be feelings of loneliness and vulnerability. It can be seeing loved ones who suffer unto death. It can be the attacks of Satan, the adversary. Trials come in various kinds. And their purpose, in verse 7, is the proof of our faith. To a suffering people, Peter writes. And he writes concerning three things. Let me put them on the board. Salvation. I'm going to put salvations... Okay, can, can you all see that? Okay. Salvation's future reward. Salvation's future reward in verses 3 through 5. Okay? Peter writes concerning salvation's future reward. Don't lose sight of that. We have a reward before us in the presence of Jesus himself. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. It's not like I'm going to line up and say, I I want to leave here today to go there. But I am really excited about the future reward that awaits those of us who know Jesus. Now, Peter also writes about salvation. I'll just put, you know, little hash marks there. Salvation's present, salvation's present adversity. So he writes about salvation's future reward and salvation's present adversity in verses 6 through 9. And then Peter writes about salvation's past glories. And we're going to dissect that in a minute. Verses 10 through 12, which we haven't even read yet. Verses 10 through 12, salvation's past glories. A salvation with a rich prophetic past. We're going to talk about that prophetic past in a minute. So it's, it's like reverse order. Salvation's future reward, present adversity, and past glories. And Paul, uh, Peter, excuse me, writes about that in verses 3 through 10. Now, Peter stood his readers on their feet by pronouncing a blessing on God. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer jumps up from a Jewish tradition background. Praise be to God and to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, up on their feet. 
kind of like we stand up to read the Scripture on Sunday morning. So he stood his readers on their feet by announcing or pronouncing a blessing on God. And next, he poured the refreshing waters of a living hope out for his listeners, beginning with verse 3. And this, it's kind of like, how can I describe this in relationship? It's like when you are working in the yard and you... You are filthy and you smell like a skunk and you get into the shower and the waters come and oh man, do I feel good. Spiritually, that's what Peter's doing. He's pouring out on his recipients, he's pouring out the refreshing waters of a living hope that is found in Jesus. Does that make sense? So his listeners who are a suffering people are beginning, you know, they, they finally sat down after the, after the pronouncement of, they're listening to the rest of what he has to say. They sit down and it's like they're sitting up straight because as a suffering people, they are hearing words about hope. There is a hope. I have a hope. I have salvation. I have a future reward. I have a hope in the midst of present adversity. And so they're sitting up straight in their seats. And if anybody came to church the day the epistle was read to the congregation and they were feeling down in the dumps because of their suffering, already they're sitting up straight and saying, okay, okay, this is what I needed. I needed this hope. I needed, I needed to know about my future reward. I needed to know that God still knows where I am and He cares about me. So you see why Peter's writing? He knows all about this. Nobody knows suffering any better than Peter. And so he's writing to his listeners, a suffering people, and he's saying, don't forget your future reward and don't forget the hope that is yours right now in the midst of the present adversity that you're experiencing. So he's carrying them heavenward, really, spiritually. He's lifting them up. So he's speaking of a future inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Remember, we talked about that, was it last week or the week before? We go so slowly that sometimes it's hard for me to remember whether it was two weeks ago or a month ago. He speaks of a future inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. There are present trials of various kinds, but even these produce joy. Wow. Really? Yes. And warm the hearts of his readers as they consider the outcome of their faith. Namely, the salvation of their souls. So Peter is saying... Don't lose heart. Don't forget. The God who saved your soul knows where you are. He he knows about you who are in Pontus. Those of you who are in Galatia. Those in Cappadocia. Those in Asia. Those in Bithynia. He knows where you are. He knows what you're experiencing. Listen to me when I say you have a future reward And you have His presence right now in the midst of adversity. Find encouragement. Find encouragement. 
Now we get to verses 10, 11, and 12, and Peter brings his introduction to what I would call a cascading close. How's that for two C's back to back? Listen to verses 10 through 12. We won't get far because our time's already up. Concerning this salvation, he's been talking about lifting their spirit, the salvation. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, oh, yes, they were from a Jewish background. Yes, we've studied the prophets. We've listened to the reading of the prophets. When I know who you're talking about. You're talking about Isaiah. You're talking about Jeremiah. You're talking about Daniel. You're talking about Micah and Amos. Yes, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. Wow! That guy on the front row just set up a little bit straighter. You mean the prophets were writing to me? Are we talking about Isaiah? Are we talking, are we talking about Haggai? Are we talking about Zechariah? You mean they were speaking to me? And, and so it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you, by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Wait, 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 who, are the, who are those that have preached the gospel to you? Personal, personal pronoun to you. Why, Peter, that would be you. That fellow Paul and that young whippersnapper named Timothy. Not to mention James and John and maybe Andrew and Matthew. You mean those preachers? that we've heard or heard about, and a few who have written, a few who had already written before First Peter was written. Yes. That's who he's talking about. And then look what he says. Even angels long to look into these things. What? Angels? Good place to stop. So next Wednesday, we'll talk about encouragement from the prophets, encouragement from uh, preachers past, and then we're going to talk about encouragement from the angels. So Peter has a purpose. He's driving it home. He's just in the first chapter. He's driving it home. Take heart, suffering Christians. Take heart, take heart, take heart. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it hurts, but it's okay. Wow. Goes for us too, doesn't it? Yeah, this is not a history lesson. <laughs> this, this is for us right now. Father, we need it. We need your word. We need what Peter's saying. Thank you for the hope that is ours. 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. So bless us now as we go from this place to the responsibilities to which you called us for the remainder of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next time.